friends and neighbors. <laughs> hey there, this is OTR Rob. Welcoming you to another edition of the Richard Diamond Black Oak Detective Shows and Richard Diamond Private Detective. This episode doesn't have a real known date except that it came out in 1950, but I don't know in what order. Funny enough though, I know the name of the episode. So if I had the name of the episode, I should be able to find it. Or at least someone should have been able to find it if they had the correct episode. Anyway, I can't, it's just something that's beyond me right now. <laughs> anyway, uh, the episode is entitled The Chapel Hill Case. And after that is The Adventures of Rocky Jordan from September 18th, 1949. The Nile runs high, and this is a um, not a commercial show. It, um, it's a rehearsal show, so there's going to be mistakes, and I don't know how long they're going to carry on. So enjoy that, and Barry Craig, confidential investigator from January second, nineteen fifty-one, the death of a private eye. Enjoy all these. And I'll see you all back here real soon. Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring Dick Powell. Diamond Detective Agency. Roses are red, violets are blue, crime doesn't pay, but see that you do. Oh, Rick. Oh, hi, Helen, baby. Rick, have you ever thought of writing holiday greeting cards? Mm, no. But then you might just have a thought there. Christmas isn't far away. Oh, I think you'd better aim toward April Fool's Day. Oh, sweet. Helen, did you call just to insult my creative genius, or do I get an invitation to dinner? Well, the genius I didn't even recognize. Dinner, well, oh, maybe. Hmm. Here I am, a poor, starving detective, and you confront me with maybe. Oh, well, a girl can't be too careful about who she invites into her house these days. Do you have references? From the best crooks in town. Oh, well, I suppose it's all right. Come around to the back door, and I'll have Francis fix you a sandwich. Well, now, don't go to all that bother, Helen. I'll, I'll just stop off at the mission. <laughs> Oh, you fool. Are you busy? Mm-mm. Haven't had a case since it... Well. What is it? Well, I'm not sure, but I think a flying saucer landed outside and its occupant just walked in. Rick, what are you talking about? Who came in? Well, it looks like an Otis Loveloon, but it's awake. Oh, Diamond. Mm, got a vocabulary like Otis, too. Look, Shamus, hurry up, will you? I got business with you. Helen, I have no choice but to hang up. This man speaks with such authority. <laughs> If Otis is there, go easy on him. He'll tease that poor boy out of his mind. Helen, he... Oh, no, it's too obvious I won't say it. I'll see you, Demi. Bye. Well, well, well. Sergeant Otis Loveloom. 
What brings you up here? Want me to sign your report card? The lieutenant sent me up, wise guy. Oh? Now, let's see where they put that paper. Paper? Oh, oh, here. <clears throat> uh, Mr. Richard Dime, we of the 5th Precinct, having Mr. Sparkling personality, do hereby invite you to a tea to be held this palm. This what? This palm. That's what it says. Let me see that parrot. Otis, that's P.M. Well, don't that snow? No. What is all this? A tea at the 5th Precinct? Sure. It's my idea. The lieutenant says we got to be more formal from now on. And he wants to see you. So? So this is your idea of being formal. That's right. Trouble with you, Diamond, is you got no culture. Well, I'm hurt, Otis. You say Walt wants to see me? Yeah, he sent me this flat cup for you. Well, I can hardly wait to find out what this is all about. Me too. I delivered a letter to him this morning. He's been a changed man ever since. A letter? Hmm. Maybe he... Oh, no, no, no. Walt's too old for the draft. And so yours truly was ushered into a waiting squad car. Usually, Walt Levinson let me wear out shoe leather on my trip to the 5th Precinct, and his hospitality was overwhelming. Otis even stopped on the way and bought me some chewing gum. Of course, it was Otis's favorite brand, but then I'm no prude. I enjoy blowing bubbles. He's in here, Diamond. Take off your hat. What? New rule. Oh, no. Here he is, Lieutenant. Well, I got eyes, you numps. Uh, Thank you, Sergeant Otis. Oh, thank you, Lieutenant. It was a pleasure. You may take your leave now, Sergeant Otis. Yes, sir, Lieutenant Levinson. Otis, curtsy and get out of here, will you? This is killing me. Oh, you had to go and ruin it all. Walt, what's going on down here? Look at your desk. What's wrong with my desk? Well, it's tidy. Everything's in place. Are you ill? Mr. Diamond, a man's desk reflects his character. Now, please be seated. I think I'd better take this standing. This new trend in character is amazing. Rick, look at this. Looks like an ordinary letter to me. Yes, but what's in it? Well, you tell me what's in it. Rick, I've been invited to speak at the annual Peace Officers Symposium at the University of North Carolina. So? So? So don't you know what this means? The top men from all over the country will be there. And to be a speaker... Well, that's quite an honor. Oh, comes the dawn. So this is why everything around here has become formal, huh? Sure. After all, we've got to have a little dignity. Mm-hmm. Why send for me? In the squad car yet? Well, it's like this, Rick. I'm supposed to make a speech concerning juvenile delinquency in New York. Uh-huh. Now, they also want someone to make a speech on the relationship between the policeman and the private detective. Touching. They told me to pick out a good man and bring him down. So I picked you. Oh, Walt, you're so thoughtful. Sorry, but speeches aren't my line. Ah, oh, Rick, don't be that way. We'll have a good time. We'll leave tonight from Penn Station, get there in the morning. It'll be a nice vacation. Walt, I can't afford a nice vacation. While I'm down there over the weekend, I might miss a client. I'll get somebody else. Um, Rick. Well? Remember last year when we decided to give all the private detectives an examination to find out whether or not they were still qualified to operate? Sure, why? Well, I just heard the commission may call another examination this year. So what's this got to do with me going to North Carolina? Well, last year, remember, I didn't exactly help you just to cough here and there when I saw you were writing the wrong answer. Go on. I was just thinking. 
Maybe this year I won't have a cold. Oh, now, Walt. Rick, this trip to North Carolina means a lot to me. All kidding aside, it's a big honor. Now, be a pal and go along. Well, why? Oh, that's a boy. I'll have the ticket clerk line up two tickets. All right, Walt, I'll agree on one condition. Shoot. Well, I realize you're now a man of dignity, and I know that, that you think things should be more formal. Yeah? But for Pete's sake, take that doily off the lie detector. <laughs> That's a nice, healthy groan. What's the matter, Walt? Train rides make you ill or something? No, but I just had a horrible thought. I was so excited about leaving, I forgot. Otis will be in charge while I'm gone. Oh, great. This is the biggest boon to crime since Prohibition. Don't remind me of it. I'll take your mind off of it. Look at the more pleasant things in life. Mmm. Like that blonde up front? <laughs> oh, you're catching on, Fatty. Cute, isn't she? I guess so. Only she keeps looking around. Sort of suspicious-like. Well, can't you take your mind off crime once in a while? All right. I'm sorry I brought it up. Everyone isn't criminal, you know. She's probably a co-ed on her way back to school. That's your opinion. Me? I say she's got criminal connections. Well, I have a buck that says you're wrong. All right, you're on. Now, how do we find out? Walt, you're so naive. Look, she's going to the club car. Come on. Now, where'd she go? Well, there she is at the end of the car. Come on. Hey, Rick, maybe we shouldn't. Uh, she might have a boyfriend around somewhere. Oh, it's all right, Walt. I have you to protect me. Uh, <clears throat> uh, pardon me, uh, Miss... Uh, yes? Uh, I'm Richard Diamond, and this is Walt Levinson. Walt says he'd like very much to meet you, but he's the shy type and asked me to Miles Standish for him. Diamond. Well... You Americans, you are certainly direct in making the acquaintance of young women. But I cannot remember anyone who has done it in so few words. Well, we're really harmless, and we would like to buy you a drink. Why, I think that would be very nice. Good. Let's order before Diamond proposes for me. Oh, the waiter seems to be busy at the other end of the car. Well, I'll go down there and get the drinks. Excuse me. Are, uh, are you traveling far, Miss, uh... Krona? Isabel Krona. Hmm. I'm on my way to North Carolina. Oh, well, how nice. So are we. Do you uh, live in New York? No, I'm from Switzerland. Oh, then you're a long way from home. Yes. But I love traveling in your country. Everything is so beautiful. This is my first trip, but I hope to return. Pleasure trip or a business? Oh, well, a little of both. I'm representing my country's police department at the North Carolina Symposium. Oh, perhaps I should explain that. You see, uh, they are holding a convention... Oh, uh, never mind, we know. That's where we headed for, too. Well, such a coincidence. You're a police officer? Uh, yes, that's right. Walter, lieutenant, and I'm in business for myself. Well, we here we are. Hope Scotch is all right. Fine. Thank you. Here, Diamond. Pardon my thumb. <laughs> Scotch and fingerprint ink. The combination... Mr. Diamond tells me that you are a policeman, Mr. Levinson. Yes, but don't let that frighten you. It's a tough life, but off-duty we're just like everyone else. Well, I remember... Walt, uh, Walt, before you start telling her all about crime, let me tell you something. She happens to be a policewoman. What? Well, I'll be. You certainly will. A flat foot in high heels. Well, sometimes it is advantageous, Lieutenant. 
If I were even recognized as a policewoman, well, my usefulness would be at an end. Well, I, um, I wouldn't exactly say uh, that. <clears throat> uh, let's have another. By the time our train reached Raleigh, North Carolina, we were old friends. From Raleigh, we took a bus to Chapel Hill, where the university was located. As we got off the bus, a short, red-faced man came up to greet us. Hello there, howdy, hello, my name is Kevin, Christopher Kevin. I take it you folks are here for the Peace Officer Symposium. That's right, I'm Levinson from New York. This is Miss Isabel Crona, and this is Richard Dunn. Uh, yeah, I'm very glad uh, to. How are you? I, I am the chairman of the Institute. Uh, we're taking a group picture on the front steps, and I think you're about the last to arrive. We can get started with the picture now. Ah, oh, this is a police convention, all right. Here, two minutes, and lawyer Phil Potts wants to mug you. You three in the back row there, move in closer, please. Well, that's one suggestion I don't mind. Bother you, dear? Well, uh, since it's all for us, I do not think I might. That's it. That's it. Now, we just... Oh, my. You in the front row, you moved again. Now, you've got... Our little friend is having a rough time. Yes. What's the matter? That man. The photographer. What about him? Oh, it is nothing. It just looks so familiar. smile. Easy now, don't stay, don't easy. Oh, no, the third row, will you please stand here? The little photographer pulled out a few hairs from his head and patiently rearranged his subject. Half an hour later, he had succeeded in snapping enough pictures the group disbanded. Mrs. Croner promised to have dinner with us that evening. So a couple of hours later, Walt and I were walking down the hall to her room. Playing like gentlemen, we knocked on the door that was half ajar. No answer. Still the gentleman, we knocked again. This was getting monotonous, so we quit being gentlemen. We shouldn't walk right in, Rick. Oh, come on. Maybe she forgot. After all, I... Uh-oh. What? She didn't forget, Walt. Look. Good Lord. Better get on the phone and call the local peace officer. We have no jurisdiction here. Not even for murder. <laughs> Walt and I stared down at Isabel Corner's body on the floor. What had once been a pretty head was now crushed and wasn't a very pleasant sight. Walt called the local sheriff and we waited until he arrived. Well, you say you two found the body? That's right, Sheriff. My name's Diamond. This is Walt Levinson. We're here for the peace officer's symposium. Oh, oh, yeah. And uh, who was she? Name was Croner, Isabel. She was a policewoman from Switzerland. Well, the corner will be finished in a few minutes. Darndest thing I ever heard of. A policewoman gets killed right smack in the middle of a gathering of the best cops in the country. Now, we called you right away. We figured if the news leaked out, every cop in the place would try and catch the murderer. They'd all run into each other and make a real mess. Yeah, we'd better keep it quiet till we can make an investigation. You all seem to know some of the facts about it. Care to give me a hand? Sure would, Sheriff. Mr. Diamond here is a private detective, though. There's no client, Rick. Do you want to work on it? Well, that's a nasty poke, Walt. I'm as anxious as you are to catch this girl's killer. Good. Now, any reason you know of why anyone would want to get rid of her? I can't think of any. She said this was her first trip to this country. Uh, uh, Johnson, check with the hotel manager. See if he saw anyone come in who might have entered this room. Now, let's see. Looks like she was hit with a heavy instrument. Yeah. We noticed what might be a clue over here, Sheriff. 
there, on the floor. Oh, a little vial. We figured it might have fallen from the killer's pocket during the struggle. It's, uh, it's marked silver nitrate. There might be some prints on the bottle. Well, let's hope there are. We can use a few breaks in this case. What do you think about Simmons? Oh, he seems like a competent sheriff. He wants us over at his office after we have dinner. Yeah, he's sending the vial on to the lab in Raleigh. I hope they turn up something. What beats me is, why was Isabel Corona killed? Who did she know here? Walt, I... I... Hmm. What's the matter, Rick? I was just thinking. Remember when we had our picture taken earlier today? Sure, why? That little photographer. Isabel seemed to recognize him. She shrugged it off when I asked her about it, but she had a strange look on her face. Yeah, you might have something there. At least there's one person who might have known her. Let's look him up and ask him a few questions. Oh, no, no. I, on second thought, I don't think we'd better. If he did kill her and we asked questions, he might leave town. Let's just keep an eye on him till the lab has a chance to go over that vial. Right. Here's a drugstore. We can look up his address. Luckily, we found that the fair city of Chapel Hill had only one photographer. The little man who had snapped our picture that morning. His name was William Avery, and we jotted down his address. Ten minutes later, we were waiting outside his studio. Can you see him through that window, Rick? Yeah, he's putting on his hat. Move back into that doorway. He's coming out. Come on. Let him get farther ahead. That's good. Let's go. Oh, Rick, he's stopping. Yeah. Hey, there he goes into that restaurant. Come on, let's go across the street. Still think we ought to question him? No, 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 wait. If he thinks no one suspects him, he may let his guard down. Let's just wait here. We can watch him through the window. The waitress is taking his order. Good. Well, I'm going to take a chance. If he's ordering dinner, he'll be in there for a little while. I'm going back to his studio and look around. Hey, now, Rick, you can't just break in there. You have no jurisdiction down here. And someone had no jurisdiction to kill Isabel Croner. I'm sorry, Walt. There might be something in that studio to pin this on Avery. Okay, you win. But I'll go back and look around. I was breaking in houses while you were still breaking in rattles. Okay, Grandpa. Don't let anyone hear your bones creak. <laughs> Find anything in the studio, Walt? And how? Our friend Avery has a broken camera. It's been smashed. Oh, oh. Hey, hey, hold it. Here he comes out of the restaurant. Oh, looks like he's heading for a studio. You, uh, you say his camera was smashed? Yeah, found it in the closet. Didn't the coroner say Isabel had been killed with a heavy instrument? That's right. You know, Walt, this may fit. After Avery took the picture, you recognized Isabel. And still with his camera, you went to see her. They fought and he bashed her with it. I'll buy that. Well, then maybe we're just grabbing at straws. You still need something concrete to tie Avery in with that murder. I... Hey, wait a minute. Huh? Look up ahead there. He's got an apple. Look at the way he's eating it. Well, what about it? He's only biting it on the right side of his mouth. So what? I have a hunch, that's all. 
Well, if it's about that apple, forget it. He just threw it away. Huh? Well, what's all this about, anyway? Let him go on, Walt. We'll know where to find him. Besides, I want this apple. Holy cow, what are you doing in the gutter? If you're that hungry, I'll buy you a whole apple. No, thanks. Come here, Walt. Look at this apple. Mm -hmm. The teeth marks show it's only been chewed on one side of the mouth. Now, maybe that's just habit. I don't know. Or maybe Avery has bad teeth. So, no matter what it is, how does it help us? I think it may help a lot. Let's get back to the sheriff. Well, it's about time you fellas got here. Thought you were coming over right after dinner. I was sorry, Sheriff, but we followed a hunch. You know a photographer here in town named Avery? Bill Avery? Why, sure. He's the best photographer in town. Came down about a year ago. Why? We think he killed Isabel Croner. But... Well, now, what makes you think a thing like that? Well, so far it's nothing concrete, but Isabel seemed to recognize him today. Yeah, so we followed him. And later I found a broken camera in his studio. We think it's the death weapon. Well... Well, now, a broken camera is hardly enough to convict a man. Oh, we know that, Sheriff, but there's something else. You remember that vial of silver nitrate we found by Isabel's body? Sure. What about it? Well, some dentists prescribe silver nitrate for use on the gums in case of infected teeth. Now, look at this apple Avery was chewing. The teeth marks show it's been eaten only with the right half of the jaw. So? So that could indicate Avery has had bad teeth and may have been using silver nitrate on his gums. Now, that's downright clever. Of course, it still don't prove nothing. Well, it might, though. Send this apple on to the lab. If they find traces of silver nitrate on it, it will at least indicate Avery was in Isabel's room. Yeah, and I've been thinking. It might just be a wild guess, but if the girl recognized Avery, he probably recognized her. He might be a big European criminal. He was afraid she'd turn him in, so he killed her. Now, you may have something there, Walt. A transatlantic call to the Swiss Detective Bureau might clear up his real identity. Now, now, boys, before you go running up my phone bill, let's just take it nice and easy like this broken camera, silver nitrate apple, and motive. It's all mighty interesting. But I don't think we'd better waste time sending this apple to the lab. Doubt if they'd find anything on it. Well, you'll at least check it, won't you? No. Like I say, all these things are real interesting. But there's just one thing stands in the way of me trying to arrest Avery. What are you getting at, Sheriff? Well, while you boys were out playing cops and robbers, I caught the murderer. It, what? Yep, nothing fancy. Just thorough, routine investigation. I sent a man to check the hotel manager. He hadn't seen anyone, but he said the maid was due to clean that room about the time of the murder. We questioned her. She got nervous and broke down. Confessed she killed Crona. But why? Lieutenant, what's the reason for most of the killings in your state every year? What's the motive? Well... Robbery's mostly the motive. That's right. And it's the same down here. The maid told us she was going through Crona's purse when Crona came in and caught her. She got frightened, picked up a vacuum sweeper attachment, and hit her with it. You know how berserker petty thieves can get when they're afraid they'll be caught. Yeah, but the silver nitrate and the apple. Oh, hell, the apple's coincidence. The silver nitrate belonged to Crona. She, too, had bad teeth. Well, I'll be... Move over, Walt. That makes two of us. Yes, sir? When I heard all you fellas were having a big convention down here, I said to my deputy, Peter said, we're going to see ourselves some fancy investigating if anything should happen while those fellas are here. Only I'm sure sorry you went to all that trouble for nothing. Rick. 
Don't speak to me. I'm still brooding. Well, at least we got through the speeches. Yeah. Would have been a swell trip if it wasn't for that hunch of yours. Oh, now that's it. Blame it all on me. Apples and silver nitrate. And what about you? Broken camera. That motive. Big European criminal. All right, all right. <laughs> sort of funny, though. That poor little photographer. Yeah. <laughs> we were all set to send him to the chair. <laughs> uh, Walt. Huh? Maybe we shouldn't say anything about this when we get back. I was thinking the same thing. If Otis ever hears about it, we'll be disgraced for life. Yeah. Let's just forget it. And look at the more pleasant things in life. Yeah. Like that little redhead up front? Mm-hmm. I, uh, I was just kind of, uh... Uh-oh. I have a feeling we've been through all this before. You're right. Well, uh... Shall we have a game of cards, Walt? Diamond Private Detective stars Dick Powell in the title role and was written by Blake Edwards with music composed and conducted by Frank Worth. This is Bill Foreman speaking. Richard Diamond Private Detective is transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. It's the Rocky Jordan Show. And I'm Rocky Jordan. We take you now to Cairo and the Cafe Tambourine for a world of adventure with Rocky Jordan.
Perhaps you already know that the Nile Valley is one of the most fertile spots on Earth. Everything grows there. Trouble, religious fanatics, cotton, a girl named Farada. Yes, and there's an end product to all this growth and life. To some it comes slowly, but to others it comes quickly and unexpected. It's a thing called death. The Café Tambourine, crowded with tourists, camel drivers, women, cheats, forgotten men down on their luck, the lonely and the lost. For this is Cairo, gateway to the ancient east, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against a backdrop of antiquity. Tonight's Rocky Jordan story, The Nile Runs High. Winter and summer come to Egypt like any other land. But there's only one other season of the year, and the most important of the three. It comes as the great river Nile rises to overflow its banks in late September, bringing new fertility and life to this strange land. The Nile season is a time for rejoicing and festivities. I was out in the morning to watch the myriad white sailboats sporting on the river. I wandered alone away from the holiday crowd south past the Ismail Bridge. Finally, just as I decided it was time to get back to the tambourine, a white-sailed scow caught my eye moving away from the other boats and seemingly out of hand. It heeled into the wind, then a breeze swung it directly toward shore, and it kept coming till it floundered to ground. A voice moved me into action. I splashed out into the shallow water and in a few seconds climbed onto the listing deck. I ducked under the boom toward where a man lay helpless across the tiller. He wore the blue robes of the native fellaheen. They were splashed with red. Alright, easy, fella. You're hurt bad. What's it all about? I did my best. Tell my master that chauffeur did his best. Looks like a bullet wound. Who did it? I do not know. They were in another boat. Right now, we gotta get help. No, no, no. There's no time. Take it back now. Quickly, Finney. Take what back? What do you mean? There. There below. Take it back. Shufa was pointing frantically to the open hatch, so I hurried over and down to the small cabin. It was loaded with miniature bales of cotton. I touched one and found that it was wet. But what interested me was the man on deck, so I got back to him. Too late. Shufa had rolled over on the deck, face up. Dead now from the bullet wound in his chest. Well, it wasn't a pleasant way to start the day. I threw a piece of sail over the pathetic figure and dropped an anchor to secure the boat where it was. I scratched around a little but found no papers to identify the boat. All I could find was its name painted on the side, the Water Nymph. After that, I waded ashore, and about three blocks up the hill, I found a phone booth outside a little market. Police headquarters, Tobias speaking. Hello, Sam. It's Rocky. Jordan, why are you not up celebrating with the rays? The Nile runs high. This is no time. Uh, just for... listen, Sam. I got a report. I do not like the sound of your voice, Jordan. Neither do I. But here it is. There's a sail scow near the foot of Sharia Bendur, grounded a little offshore. Indeed. And how should that interest me? A couple of things, maybe. For one, a load of cotton. Most interesting. And whatever. You'll find a man lying on deck, shot to death. So that is it. Jordan, why is it that always you and... I hold the question, Sam. I'll give you all I know when you show up. Very well, Jordan. You will wait for me there. 
Oh, I opened the door to leave, and I got a lot of help. A powerful brawny arm reached in and dragged me out. We will talk, Englazy. All right, start saying something. You made the phone call. Who was it with? I got the wrong number. <laughs> Shadrach is a man of impatience. Uh, as my friend Jabba here says, you were seen to board the boat on the river. Tell us what you saw there. A little cotton? A dead man? Maybe you killed? <laughs> Shadrach is a man of anger. Perhaps the knife will loosen your tongue. Uh, use it and see what you find out. Speak now. What the dead man told you, and what you have told others. And if I don't? Then, Englazy, you will quickly join the unfortunate boatman. Wait, wait, Shadrach. Huh? Look who comes. There were five of them, the dirty white robes flapping in the wind. The leader was waving a sword with a double-edged blade. Shadrach and his buddy froze for a split second, and just before they ran, they slammed me headfirst at the feet of the onrushing pack. Jolt knocked the wind out of me, and somebody's boot behind my left ear did the rest. That was all. When I opened my eyes, I saw bare sandstone walls and light coming in a high window. The rest I saw made me sure I was dreaming. But the soft hand stroking my cheeks was still there, so I looked again. The face bending over me was beautiful, but expressionless. She was dark, not too slender. The only sign she was human was the throbbing at her temples until she spoke. You need not fear. We are both quite safe. Are we, lady? What happened to all the little men? They do not matter now. They brought you here, and now we are alone. Yeah, real cozy. Lie quietly. The pain will soon be gone. That's not what bothers me. <laughs> My name is Farada. And you'd like to know mine? You are Rocky Jordan. You own a cafe called The Tambourine, and you are an American. Huh. The card in my billfold says that. But when a woman meets a man, she wishes to know more of him, does she not? Yeah, sure she does. You do not look like one who brawls in the street. The two strong men were most violent with you. Would you not like to tell me why? What makes you think I got anything to tell? I see to your rescue, and yet you question. Everybody's got some angle. I do not understand. Maybe yours is a boat down on the river, a load of wet cotton, and a dead man who might have said something that I told somebody else on the phone. Very well. You need only tell me. You got quite an assignment getting information out of me in your own way. I think I like Shadrach's way better. Why? Is it that you could resist his way, but not mine? Give it up, lady. It won't work. A man as wise as you should know that my way is best. Where's the threat from? El Cahira? Then you know of him. Yeah, one of your boys shouted his name. Who is he? El Cahira is a man of destiny. The true, the exalted leader. I'm still asking who he is. Very soon you and all Egypt will know. Only those who bend to his will shall be spared. Well, maybe he'll spare me till he knows what I told other people. Perhaps. Believe me, then? <laughs> you got ways of stopping me. I would not use them. Mr. Jordan. Yeah? Go anywhere but to the police. My men can return most quickly. I went out and down some steps to what turned out to be one of Cairo's many old deserted towers. I knew I wouldn't find Farada there again. If any of my rescuers were around outside, they didn't show their faces. So I skipped Farada's advice and made it for police headquarters the quickest way. When I walked into Sabaya's office, he jumped up from behind his desk and came striding toward me. 
Jordan, where have you been? I have been worried about me, Sam. We will leave my personal feelings out of this, if, if that is possible. Uh, suit yourself. I don't feel so good either. Listen to me, Jordan. Was it not you who phoned me two hours ago most urgently? In person. And did you not say that you would join me at the foot of the Sharia Bendor where it meets the river? Well, that was my plan. And did you not say that a boat was anchored there, loaded with cotton, and with a dead man on its deck? That's all straight. Did you get there, Sam? I did. I'll have a look inside those cotton bales. Got a hunch you'll find something there. Jordan. Yeah? There is an old saying of my people. Perhaps you have heard it. I can take it again. It is said, a man who is bitten by a serpent will be frightened by the sight of a rope. Where does that fit? You, an adventurer, have seen violence and death often. Is it not possible that in a moment of, shall we say, celebration, what you saw was not real? Take a look at these bruises, Sam. They're real. They prove nothing. So what are you driving at? I will tell you. It so happens that when I got there, there was no cotton. Also, there was no dead man. In fact, Jordan, there was not even a boat. Sam Sabaya sat watching what he just told me sink in. The sailboat, its small cargo of cotton, and the lifeless man at the tiller were gone, all vanished. Or, as Sam put it, they were never there. I had to make him believe me. Sam, what I told you on the phone was all true. Please, Jordan, do not try my patience. I'll get this, all of it. Right after I hung up, a couple of bearded characters started working me over. They wanted to know what I might have found or heard on that boat. And what might that be? I don't know. The boatman tried to say something about the cotton. <sighs> Continue, Jordan. Now, just as the two bearded men got rough, a gang of desert rats charged in. There was a free-for-all with me in the middle. I went out for the count and woke up in a deserted tower with a dame named Farada. She tried to take some information, too. <laughs> You have had quite a day. Oh, listen, will you, Sam? The Desert Gang and Ferrata were taking orders from somebody they call El Cahira. El Cahira? Is that quite everything, Jordan? Up to now it is. There'll be plenty more. Jordan, let me suggest that you go back to your cafe and have a good sleep. I trust that you will not need an escort. I wasn't sure how much of my story Sam believed. All I knew was he bit his tongue at the mention of El Cahira, and there must have been a reason. Outside, I hadn't gone ten steps when I spotted Farada in a doorway across the street. A couple of more white-robed shadows planted a few doors down. I stepped it up, and when I saw they were following, I took cover in a bar half a block down. Hey, Rocky, come on over. It was an old friend seated alone near the door. Bill Harder, crack reporter for the Cairo Mail. I figured he could help me, so I joined him. He was a couple of drinks ahead of me. Man, what happened to your face, Rocky? Somebody step on it? Supposing I said somebody did. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me the scrapes you get into. Hey, give me a scoop on the next one, will you? Sure. Next time I mix with El Cahira, I'll let you know. Oh, I wouldn't wish that on you. Hey, Gus, take care of my friend here. Uh, short beers, all. Oh, by the way, El Cahira means something, doesn't it? The, uh, Victorious? Yeah, that's right. It's the original name of Cairo. Named after the planet Cahir. It's the Egyptian name for Mars. And this El Cahira appropriated the name for himself. Yeah, talk about delusions of grandeur. He's got it. Hey, what brought him up? You did. I did? <laughs> well, maybe so. I need somebody like him around. I haven't had a decent story in weeks. Here, here, I'm paying. Oh, thanks. What's this El Cahira like, Bill? Well, he's a screwball to end them all, Rocky. Pretender to the throne of Egypt. You got any reasons? Oh, sure. Claims he's a direct descendant of the first king of Egypt, way back about, oh, 16, oh, no, 6,000 years. You know, I think he really believes it. <laughs> a modern pharaoh. Oh, before even the pharaohs. 
There's an old legend among the nomadic tribes that they were the original inhabitants of Egypt. They were dispossessed and forced to wander in the desert. And El is going to lead them back, Laddie. Yeah. There are always a few tribes around willing to make trouble, and Kahira seems to know how to stir them up. Any idea where he is now? Oh, who knows? He's been in and out of trouble for years, but he always seems to come back. Could be a dangerous man. He and his queen. Farada. Yeah. yeah she's as screwy as he is. Hey, you going already, Rocky? Yeah. Back to your desk, Bill. May have a story for you. How's that? Hey, 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 that's not the way to the door. I want to speak to the cook. So long, Bill. I did say hello to the cook, but I had other reasons for going out the back way. Namely, Farada and her crew hanging around out front. I knew if I didn't want a lot of characters on my trail from now on, I'd have to clear things up fast. So I quick went to the Nile Boat Registry office for information. In a minute, gents. I'm very busy. Well, we all are. Left alone to make out all these reports. Uh, supposing we speed it up, huh? Everybody. Everybody likes to be in a hurry. There's a sales cow uh, called the Water Nymph. Who does it belong to? All right, just hold your horses, gent, huh? I'm going to look it up for you. Everybody in the office goes to the Nile but me. Sure, because I'm a Greek. Does not mean I do not like celebrations, does it? No. Uh, why was that boat again? The water nymph, under W. W. One. Wasp. Water nymph. Water nymph. Belongs to Mr. Malik. Goodbye, Jen. Ah, hold it. Who's Mr. Malik? Malik Cuttingross, Heliopolis Road. Oh, one more thing. Has the boat been reported missing? No. Does that mean I have to make still another report? Yeah, skip it. Happy holiday, Jen. It was a little after four when I went out onto the street. The crowds were swarming up from the waterfront. It was festive Cairo at its best. Limousines and camels, poshes and beggars, women in slacks and women with veils. I was just about to move on when I saw the flash in the sunlight. A knife stuck quivering inches deep in the doorpost by my head, and two fleeing figures vanished quickly into the milling crowd. I'd seen both of them in the knife before that day. It was Shadrach and his pal Jabba. Trying to follow would have wasted time, so I got to my car and honked my way out the Avenue de Lorraine and out of the Heliopolis Road. Just before sunset, I pulled in under a big sign in the outskirts of town. Malik Cotton Growers. And up a driveway to the spacious home. There I was directed to a rambling warehouse behind. At the warehouse door, I was met by a man sporting a pencil mustache and a red face. Oh, I'm looking for Mr. Malik. Yes, I am Mr. Malik. And you? My name's Jordan. Ah. What do you want? I'm wondering if you had a man named Shufa working for you. Why, yes, what about him? He sent you a message. Message? He wants you to know he did his best. No, I do not understand. What uh, What are you talking about? Didn't you know? Your man's dead. What? I found him shot and dying on your boat. Oh, that's most regrettable. I did not know, Mr. Jordan. But maybe you know what it's about. Huh? No, no, no. Well, these things happen. There has been discord among my workers. A personal matter, perhaps. Did Shufa say anything more, Mr. Jordan? Well, uh, no. Only he was concerned about the cargo... All I could see was some small bales of cotton in the cabin. Ah, yes. Well, that perhaps explains part of it. Stealing cotton is nothing new, but a small loss. You have some left, then. <laughs> Excellent humor, Mr. Jordan. But come inside the warehouse, you shall see. Mr. Jordan, you observe? Premium Egyptian cotton ready for the world's markets. Yeah. You keep it here long? No, no. It is already being moved. See, the August harvest was over only three weeks ago, just ahead of the Nile season. I was just thinking. 
Yes? With so much cotton being moved and with boating events on the river, this would be a safe time to do a smuggling job inside the cotton bales. Perhaps I would not know. Oh, by the way, have you been losing money in the cotton market? Why, I... That is a most personal question, Mr. Joran. Now forget it. Thanks for the deluxe tour, Mr. Monarch. A pleasure. You were most gracious to bring me the sad news of Shufa's death. He walked with me to my car and watched as I drove out to the main road. But I didn't go far. Just beyond the hill, I parked, took a heavy screwdriver from the car, got out and left the road, circling back. I had noticed how Mr. Malik kept steering me away from a certain padlocked door. I found an open entrance back of the warehouse. There was just a few more steps to the door I wanted in. is isn't much of a trick to break a padlock, if you know how. You just insert the screwdriver, give it a twist, and that's all. I was inside a large room. In the dim light, I could see some vats and all sorts of equipment that didn't mean anything. But stacked along the wall, I saw what I wanted. Small bales of cotton like those I'd seen on the boat. Only these were dry. I took one and broke it open. There was nothing inside. I tried some more, and they were the same. I was stumped. I'd been sure it was a smuggling job. Well, if it was, and there wasn't anything inside the bales, it had to be the cotton itself. I stood there rubbing my hand over it, and then I saw something. I rubbed again, harder. A phosphorescent glow followed in my hand's path, and all at once it clicked. It made sense now. Right away, I wanted more words with Mr. Mollick. I started back into the main room of the warehouse, but I didn't have to go far. Mollick was running wildly toward me, looking back over his shoulder. No! I beg you! No! No! The two shots had found their mark, and Malik stumbled, fell forward to the floor, and rolled over at my feet, face up. It didn't take a second look to see he was very dead. And there in the middle of the warehouse, flanked by her men from the desert, gun in hand, stood Farada. Mr. Jordan, so still you do not forget. I'm just beginning to learn some things. I fear that now it will do you little good. That mean you're using the gun again? It is not mine to decide. Well, good girl, Farada. Still take orders from the big boy. All Egypt shall obey him soon. Yeah, I'd like to meet his majesty sometime. El Gahira comes. El Farada, who is this who does not bow down before me? It is the man Jordan, my master. So, it is the foolhardy one who hesitates to tell what he knows. I'm ready to tell it now, El Gahira. Now it is too late. I can figure your tie-up with Malik. He had the cotton and he needed money, so he just decided to expand operations. He moved a lot of equipment, nitric acid and so on, into that big room and began manufacturing a high explosive. It's called gun cotton. It's a lot safer to handle while it's wet. Indeed, your tongue has been loosened. It's all there, including plenty of gun cotton. You made a good buyer for his stuff. Only what happened? Did Malik start backing down? Suddenly he was in great fear of the authorities. Did he not know that I am the law? <laughs> you got a lot to prove. The proof is in the doing. Soon, at my bidding, the legions of the desert will arise. Well, I don't have to guess where the gun cotton comes in. Consider, if you will, the effect of a few bombs strategically placed at certain dams far to the south. Dams which control the flow of the river. You're making it sound pretty big. Egypt is the Nile. The Nile is Egypt. The economy of the land will be disrupted. There will be chaos. All you're doing, El Cahira, and that makes you king. As you say. And after wandering the desert as outcast these many centuries, my people return to the land that is rightfully theirs. And you're telling me all this because I don't get to see it. Most truly spoken. Harada, you have the gun. At your command, my master. Then you will raise it quickly. El Cahira! Who is without? It is the voice of Sabaya, the police. El Cahira! 
You are surrounded. The Lord charges you with murder and revolution. Will you come out peaceably? We will never yield. But my master, we have no choice. Enough. We will fight to the end. We are as nothing before destiny. Should we fail, another will arise. You have spoken, my master. My subjects to the windows. Fight to the death. The desert men turned, and as Ferrara wavered, I saw my chance. I grabbed the gun from my hand and made for the open door. As I went out, it slammed behind me. I kept running till I landed behind a watering trough with Sam Sabaya. Down, Jordan, quickly. Watch that man, Sam. He's wild. Escaida! This is your last chance! There was no answer from inside. Sam motioned his men surrounding the building to stay covered. That's how we waited in silence for what seemed like a long time. I had an idea what would happen, and all at once it came. Even though he dies, El Cahira lives forever! With the blast, a sheet of flame rose from the roof, and all at once the big warehouse caved into an inferno. Suddenly they were all gone. El Cahira, the self-styled god of war, had died as fantastically as he had lived. Well, the minute we get back to town, I called my reporter friend Bill Harder and gave him the scoop I'd promised him. Sam kept me with him as he went about Cairo checking El Cahira's venture. Finally, we stood at the foot of the Sharia Bendur, looking into the dark across the river. It should not be difficult to understand why the boatman was killed. Ah, it all fits, Sam. Malik had lost too much money in the cotton market. To recoup his fortune, he expanded operations making gun cotton, which is... Slightly illegal. To say the least, Jordan. He found a good buyer in El Cahira. He found out too late what Cahira was up to, and that the police were closing in. So he decided to call it off. But in the meantime, Shufa was sailing with the first delivery. Obviously, Mr. Malik sent his men here to the shore to signal Shufa to turn back. That's it. Trouble was, El Cahira had a boat following to make sure of delivery. When Shufa turned, they shot him. They picked up the boat while I was phoning you. Then both sides came after me. Mm. Well, we will find the lost cargo in good time. Shall we go, Jordan? Yeah, sure. El is no more problem. No. He chose to end his life as fantastically as he lived it. Instead of fighting, he committed suicide. Yeah, it's like Bill Harder said. He may have been screwy, but he was sure dangerous. Mm. But then, are not all power-mad people dangerous, Jordan? Uh, you're so right, Sam. I wonder about that legend, though, that says that nomads once owned Egypt. Uh, unsubstantiated by any historical fact. It's a, a, a pure fabrication. <laughs> like that boat I saw in the river, Sam? The boat. You saw, ah. <laughs> Will you join me for coffee, Jordan? <laughs> This is Rocky Jordan speaking. Next week's story is about a friend of mine, my bartender, Chris. I caught him holding out on me, only I couldn't do anything about it. You see, what he was holding out wasn't money. It was information about a girl. This is the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
William Gargan stars as Barry Craig, confidential investigator. I knew a murderer once who was planning to get married. So he killed a man for money enough to furnish a house. It didn't work out, though. All he got was the chair. The National Broadcasting Company presents William Gargan in another transcribed drama of mystery and adventure with America's number one detective, Barry Craig, confidential investigator. dark early these days. It's always cold and a confidential investigator's business dies a slow death. Maybe it's because the weather discourages romance. Wives stay home knitting. Husbands decide the blonde wasn't born who's worth a trip through the icy city. So I'm in the office pretending to go through the files trying to keep the corpse warm. The buzzer buzzes and I look up. Maybe I think it'll be a fireman. It's open... If it is, he forgot to bring the fire with him. Uh, you, Craig? I'm Craig. Sit down. Yeah. Kind of cold out. That's why I'm still here, Mr. Uh... Uh, Hearn's the name. Joe Hearn. How do you do? Uh, are you in a position to take on a job? A job for when? Tonight. Oh, you're lucky. It so happens I'm free tonight. Now, if you'd wanted me to go to work tomorrow... Uh... You'd still be lucky. I'd be free then, too. What's the matter, Pop? Huh? Oh, uh, nothing. Just a cold. I ain't so young anymore. Who is? This job for tonight, what's it about? It's uh, just that I want you to go along with me to, to pay a visit. Sounds easy enough. Yeah. I used to have one of those. What? Oh, an investigator's license? Yeah. Nothing but a night watchman now, though. Job won't take more than a couple of hours. Would, uh, would 25 bucks be enough? Sure. Here, I, I got the door with me. It's out on uh, Staten Island. Ouch. Uh, it, it ain't too bad. You, you can stay inside on the ferry. You, you better meet me around 8.30, hmm? Okay. Uh, down in the Bay Drive corner, Western, 8.30. Uh, place we're going to is maybe a five-minute walk from there. Bay Drive and Western, 8.30. Yeah. Well, I guess I'll see you later, huh? Oh, Mr. Hearn. Yeah? 25 bucks for company on a visit is a little on the rich side for you, isn't it? Yeah, but on this visit... Yeah, I want to make sure I don't get killed. Mr. Hearn didn't pause to explain. I started after him, shrugged my shoulders, went back to the desk and put my files away. 
A client's got a right to his privacy. I wondered how I'd like being a night watchman if I ever washed up as a private eye. I decided I wouldn't and headed for a hamburger joint instead of a steakhouse for dinner. Fine, but Bay Drive turned out to be right on the bay. I didn't care for the result. I was maybe three quarters of a block away from the intersection of Bay Drive and Western when the car passed me. The street didn't run to many lampposts, and the pedestrians were all home. I didn't think the car's driving without lights was accidental. I began to run. I could see Joe Hearn shuffling his feet, trying to keep warm on the corner. The car moved in fast, and... <laughs> then it went away. No license plates. I got to where Hearn was hugging the pavement and bent over him. He'd given up trying to keep warm. He'd never be warm again. Bay Drive ran parallel to the water. Nothing was below it except a crooked shoreline and the cold darkness of the bay itself. I'd flagged a passing car and had the news phoned in. After a while, Joe Hearn had a spotlight on him. The undivided attention of a half a dozen cops and a nervous intern. Joe Hearn wasn't particularly interested. Barry? Welcome to Staten Island, Lieutenant Rogers. Thanks. I could use a red carpet for a windbreak. Hearn hired you to help him pay a visit. To whom? Me? I would have said to who? That's an interesting sidelight on your grammar. Doesn't tell me anything, though. That's because I don't know anything. Hearn wasn't giving out information. Hearn was a night watchman for the coastlines. He worked in one of their warehouses. Near here? Half an hour's walk. Hmm. No help there. His date was closer. His date has been canceled. Nobody spotted the car, Barry. Probably put the lights on again once it got a few blocks away. Trav, uh... Were your men able to dig up anything on Hearn's actions just before he wound up here? Landlady at his boarding house said he had dinner there. He stopped off at a place called Old Tyrol for a beer. I spoke to the manager, a man named Grunner. Wound up with nothing. Hearn always had a beer there on his way to work. That's it? Yeah, I hope he enjoyed his beer. finished with the chalk marks and the flashbulbs. Hearn wasn't a heavy man. They had no trouble rolling him onto a stretcher and taking him away. The last I saw of him was a pair of tired shoes. The right one had a hole in it. I thought maybe I'd try the beer at the old Tyrone. I wasn't fooling anybody. The 25 bucks in my pocket was bothering me. I hadn't earned it. The place was full of people. The waiters were girls dressed in costume. I suppose their bare knees improved the customers' appetites. I hoped nobody would start yodeling. Uh, good evening, sir. You uh, want a table, maybe, huh? Well, uh, I'm looking for Mr. Gruner. Uh, I am Gruner. My name's Craig, Barry Craig. Yeah? I'm working uh, for Joe Hearn. But the man is dead, no? I'm still working for him. I'm a confidential investigator. 
It is very sad what happens to Mr. Hearn, but uh, I have already told the police everything I know. Suppose you tell me all over again. I do not know exactly what the confidential investigator means, but I am a friend of the police captain here in the district. That's nice. He would not like it that I am disturbed. Hearn didn't like trying to breathe through the blood in his lungs. You do not make yourself very pleasant. I will not talk with you more. No? <laughs> Please, you will let go of me. How many murdered men have you ever looked at, Mr. Groner? I say you let They're go. They're not pretty. Mostly they die with their eyes open. Killer's got so little time he doesn't bother shutting their eyes. <laughs> and what you see in a murdered man's eyes isn't pleasant, Mr. Groner. I... There's nothing much anybody can do about it except turn up the killer. That's what I'm trying to do. I, I understand. I wish to help, only... Yeah. You own this building? Yeah. Coming, I noticed it had two stories. What's upstairs? More restaurant? No. It is storerooms and... and things like that. Things like that. Mind if I take a look? Why do you wish that? Maybe I'm thinking of retiring and opening a restaurant with storerooms upstairs. It is closed upstairs. I cannot permit you... Never mind. Yeah. No, if you excuse, I, I go to work. But uh, perhaps you will be a guest of the management, huh? The Wiener schnitzel here is very good. So is the beer, I understand. No, thanks. For some reason, I, I can't think of what it is exactly. I haven't got an appetite. Good night, Mr. Groner. Welcome to the Bay Drive Precinct, Barry. Hello, Trav. How's the beer at the old Tyrol? What makes you think I've been there? <laughs> We've met before. You're bothered about Hearn. Sure. I owe him 25 bucks worth of investigation. Uh-huh. Worrying about money? What else? I won't tell anybody you're sentimental, Barry. Thanks. I'll keep quiet about your reading books. <laughs> that makes us even. What'd you find out, if anything, at the old Tyrol? Nothing. You? You gave us the fact that Hearn was a private eye once upon a time. So? The reason he quit was because the commission revoked his license. They must have had a reason. They had. A good one? Not too good. But they couldn't help themselves. Happened around ten years ago. You going to talk without prompting? Uh, the way it went was Joe Hearn had an office downtown. On the waterfront. Had a lot of jobs for shipping outfits. Was doing pretty well. Until he testified against a man named Pete Solder. They had a law then about testifying against men named Pete Solder? The charge against Solder was smuggling. His lawyer brought in a lot of witnesses. In the higher income brackets, Barry. That made them good witnesses? Well, it helped. The case against Solder was shot full of little holes. Hearn almost got himself charged with perjury. Was Solder guilty? Sure. Ran gambling houses, too. He was deported a few years later. But at the time of the trial, his guilt couldn't be proved. So Hearn had his license taken away. Was that or a perjury charge? Trav, let me have a list of the witnesses that testified for Solder, huh? Yeah, I've got it here. Thanks. Grunner isn't on the list. No. Thanks, Trav. You're leaving? Uh-huh. And going where? Back to the waterfront. Got a lead? No. But you're going anyway. All for 25 bucks? No. I keep remembering Hearn's shoes. What about them? They had holes in them.
to the corner of Bay Drive and Western. The cops were gone. Hearn was gone. The only thing left was a blood stain on the pavement. Not much to show for a lifetime. I remembered what Hearn had told me. His visit was to a place five minutes from Bay and Western. It wouldn't have been back along the way I'd come. It couldn't be down Western to the water. It might have been up Western going inland. It might have been a long bay drive where it hugged the shore. I'd invest five minutes along the shore. Hearn's life had been played near water and it ended there. Five minutes was a small investment. But bay drive died on me. In five minutes, a high brick wall stared at me. I backed up away from it and there was a house rising above the wall set deep behind it. Maybe it was the wind that lifted the small hairs out of the back of my neck. I found a gate in the wall. There were lights in the house. Who's that? Open the gate. Sure, I'll open. Now what? I'm paying a visit to the house. What time do you think it is? 2.30 in the morning. There's no time for visiting. Everybody's asleep. The lights are on. They're nervous up at the house. They sleep with the lights on. Now, now. Listen, I don't want to get rough. I'm visiting. Oh, you're on your way out now. You you nearly broke my arm. Keep your hands out of your pockets. I'm not interested in your gun. I wasn't. You mean you're not. The house, huh? Okay, okay. I don't know what you think you're doing. Paying a visit. You announced me as Craig. Craig? Yeah, Barry Craig. Hey, you're a private eye. Confidential investigator sounds more expensive. What are you so kind of edgy tonight? Maybe I'm always edgy. Dodging in on Mrs. Warren like this won't do you any good, though. I'm not looking for any good. What's your name? Dolan. Got a license for that gun you're carrying? What's the matter? You got a license complex or something? Forget it. That gun been used recently? You keep hopping on my gun. Lay off. They've been out the grounds all night. I didn't ask you. Mrs. Warren run to a butler? He goes to bed early. All right. Get back to the gatehouse. Oh, wait a minute. I said get back. You like to throw your weight around, don't you? I've got plenty of it. Yeah. Only one thing. There's just so much I'll take and then... And then? Nothing. Dolan, what... I'm not Dolan. So I see. The name's Barry Craig. Mind if I come in? That might depend on just who Barry Craig is. Well, he's a confidential investigator. He's got an office in the city, a license under glass, and, uh... And? A necessity for visiting. Does it happen often? No. Well, I suppose there's no harm in indulging you, Mr. Craig. That's up to you. Would you go away if I asked you to? No. (laughs) Come in, Mr. Craig. It's a strange hour for a visit, Mr. Craig. You're up, Mrs. Warren? I keep strange hours. Why did you come here? A man named Joe Hearn was shot to death a little while ago. Oh, but... He was a private eye once upon a time. More recently, he's been a night watchman. Right now, he's dead. Well, I... I'm sorry about that. I suppose investigators are all fine men. They bleed when they're shot, and when they've bled long enough, they die. 
That was hardly necessary. People don't always realize. Big house you've got here? Yes. Around 8.30 tonight, uh, you were where? I don't really see why I should answer your questions. Do you mind answering? Of course not. Then... 8.30? I was here. I may have been reading. Alone? My husband's dead. Oh. The butler goes to bed very early. But of course, there's Dolan. There's always Dolan. The grounds run right down to the water's edge, don't they? They do. You're a beautiful woman, Mrs. Wine. Right. Thank you. Beautiful and rich. Why did you let me walk through your front door? Meaning that I didn't have to? I'd put it that way. But perhaps I wanted to. Was it my hand-tailored suit or my polished manners? <laughs> your polished manners. Or perhaps the hat you're wearing. It's still on your head. Hmm. In the trial of a man named Pete Solder a number of years ago, another man named Thomas Warren testified on Solder's behalf. Thomas Warren was my husband. I know. Thomas Warren's testimony helped a private investigator named Joe Hearn lose his license. Oh, we're back to that. We never left it. It was that Joe Hearn who died tonight. What possible interest could I... Solder knew lots of people like the Thomas Warrens. He must have had something. I hardly knew him. You must have been what, uh, 18 at the time? A few years older when Solder was deported? Did you still hardly know him then? I'm trying to understand why you're asking me these questions. Hearn was killed a few minutes after he left a restaurant and bar called the Old Tyrol. It's run by a man named Gruner. He keeps his supplies upstairs behind drawn blinds and with the lights on. I know nothing about the Old Tyrol or men named Gruner. Mr. Craig, why don't you take your hat off? Why should I? Perhaps because I want to see what your hair is like. I'm not a cop. Those rooms upstairs at the restaurant could be used for gambling. I, I wouldn't be interested. Except that Pete Solder ran a string of gambling houses. You're very stubborn. I'll take it off for you. This is pretty quick, isn't it? You're very real, Mr. Craig. Very real and disturbing. I still think it's pretty quick. You underestimate yourself. The world's full of little men, half-men. You, you're exciting. I... I'm not buying. What? It's a nice performance, but your price tag showing. Well, you... You... No. Oh, my wrist. I'd just as soon not be slapped. Not even by a beautiful woman. Let's get back to the gambling houses. If you don't mind, I'll show you to the door. You mean he's had time enough by now to get away? Yeah. Too late. The car's gone. Very nice, Mrs. Warren. Would you please leave? You stormed me just long enough, didn't you? To let him get out of here. I don't know who you're talking about. No? But Hearn did, Mrs. Warren. Hearn did. Dolan didn't try to stop me. I hadn't expected him to. Out in the bay, the boats lay at anchor, rocking with the tide. The old Tyrol was still open for business. I gave it mine. 
Out in the restaurant, a handful of people made tired passes at food. The bar was doing better. The bartender had a very high-class assistant. Hey. Yes, sir? What will it... Mr. Craig. Hello, Mr. Gorner. You are back again. Yeah. Surprised? What, uh... What is it you want now? Let's not disturb the bartender. Let's go where we can talk. I do not wish to go... Sure you do. Only you don't realize it yet. I still say... Gorner. You know where I've been? It is not my business. I've been visiting Mrs. Warren. That means nothing to me. I... Who is Mrs. Warren? A lady with a lawn sloping right down to the shore of the bay. So? Yeah. We, uh, go to my office. Fine. He's upstairs. No objection. Right up among the storerooms, huh? Store? Oh. Yeah. You didn't hit those yes hard enough. What you really mean is that you're closed up for the night, upstairs. You say things which I do not understand. Never mind. My uh, office is here. Very pretty. You do not come to admire my office. Mr. Craig, what is it you wish to say to me? How well did you know Joe Hearn? I hardly knew him at all. Uh Uh-uh. He stopped in every night for his beer. It must have been more than a casual thing. No. The cops know better. Well, what I meant is that, uh, of course, I knew Mr. Hearn, but uh, not uh, very personal, you understand? I understand. You served him his beer tonight? Well, yeah, an old customer. And while he was drinking that beer, what did he tell you? Nothing, except uh, how the weather is and... Yeah, and that is all? A couple of boys chatting about the weather. No, Groner. What do you mean, no? I don't like your answer. Please, sir. I'm not being brutal, just making sure you stay with me. Groner, what did Hearn tell you tonight? I, I'm not well. Please. You're just beginning to feel sick. It'll get worse, Groner. I am not concerned. I'll tell you what you and Hearn talked about. Hearn mentioned the fact that on his way to work, he always passed the Warren estate. He told you that when he passed it last night, he saw someone go in that estate. Someone whose face he had a very good reason to remember. Isn't that what he told you? No. No, I swear to you. No? Why deny it with such excitement, Gruner? Why swear to me? I, I, because I, you know what it means, don't you? That's why you're so anxious to get out of it, isn't it, Gruner? I, I, I say nothing. Let's go back to storytelling. Hearn told you that. He also told you he was going to pay a visit with a private eye. Me. Although he wasn't mentioning names, was he? No. Don't be so anxious to agree with me on unimportant things. Hearn finished his beer and left. And what did you do? Nothing. Nothing except make a little phone call to a lady, Gruner. Yeah. They've got a funny law. Roughly, it says that if you know about a murder and don't talk, you go to the chair right alongside of the man who actually pulled the trigger. I I know about this. Maybe you'll think it's unfair. You'll go right on thinking that until they shoot the high voltage through that fat body of yours. I, I know nothing. I, I, you I, found I, Mrs. Warren. You passed on what Hearn had told you. I, maybe I did. It is not against the law. What did you think would happen with that information, Gruner? What do you think did happen? It is not of my doing. They got to Hearn before I met him. He didn't die very pleasantly. I'm angry about that. Please, Mr. Craig, you are hurting it. Try breathing with lungs full of blood sometimes. Uh, That hurts more. 
Who did Hearn tell you he saw entering Mrs. Warren's estate last night? You let go of me, and I, I, I tell you. Thanks. I wish that it is on the record that I did not know what will happen. It'll be on the record. Now stop washing the blood off your hands and talk. All right. Then I speak. The man Hearn sees who goes into the Warren estate... Get out! Rona! Nice shooting, Dolan. Come out from behind that door. I've had a bead on it since we came into the room. The angle's wrong for you. Come out from behind that door, Dolan. Okay. Hold it. Drop the gun. Now, keep coming. Hey, what? I said keep coming to me. Or do you want to find out if I shoot straight? No. I'll keep walking. That's fine. Now stop. Turn around. Back to me. Face that door you just came out of. Yeah. Now, you start back to the door, Dolan. What? What's your idea? One dead private eye is enough for tonight. So we play it this way. Start walking. I'll be right behind. So if anybody gets nervous and starts shooting... I'll see to it that you don't fall down when you get shot. You can't do this to I'm me. doing it. Keep walking. But he, he'll shoot. The boy in the room you came out of? That was the idea, wasn't it? You were coming in. I was supposed to think you'd been alone. I wouldn't be watching the next room. I'd make a nice target. But I like you better as a target. No. Kick the door open all the way. Okay. Yeah. Better. Much better. Hold it, Dolan. As for you, you can try shooting it out with me. Not much of a chance for you, though. Or you can drop your gun and hope. You may stay alive a little while longer that way till a jury gets around to you. What shall it be, Mr. Solder? <laughs> Mr. Solder, Mr. Pete Solder, dropped his gun and surrendered to the authorities. I dropped him in Lieutenant Rogers' lap. The lieutenant dumped him in a cell, and then... He'll keep for a while. Not too long. He's turning spoiled right now. But Pete Solder, after all these years... Yeah. Funny, he sneaked back into the country and might have got away with it. But the place he picks out turns out to be the one place he should have stayed away from. He had no way of knowing Joe Hearn's route to his job took him past Mrs. Warren's estate. No. So Hearn saw him and... And what? I'm not sure. He wanted me to come with him when he visited the Warren estate. He wouldn't tell me why. Uh, if he'd come to us, he'd be alive now. Yeah, but he was too bitter, I guess. He wanted to make a citizen's arrest himself. Get back to Solda for all the years. The worn-out shoes, the tiredness. It might have worked out if he hadn't talked to Gruner. Gruner, who ran a gambling dump upstairs in his restaurant, who had a tie-in with Solder. And that was it. But, um, what led you to it? Little things, mostly. Something Hearn came across on his way to work led to his death. The Warrens had figured in the reports on Solder's trial. A small boat could land on the estate without being seen. And Dolan said something about this being a night where a private eye would be edgy. 
But he had no way of knowing about Hearn unless he'd had a hand in his death. Well, it's all washed up. What are you doing the rest of the night, Barry? Go home and... No. I earned my 25 bucks. I'm going out and spend it. On what? A steak. Good night, folks. See you next week. Listening to William Gargan in another exciting transcribed mystery drama from the adventures of Barry Craig, confidential investigator.